Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. And um, it's uh, such a, a great privilege and honor for me to be able to, to, be able to speak to you, um, share with you the word of God. Um, it's been great also, um, thankful for the invitation by um, who's become a very good friend of mine, uh, your pastor, Mark Wellman. Um, and I'm sure as you know, um, he's, just a, he's just a great person. Um, I've been in ministry for um, some 30 years, but church planting is a new thing for me. And uh, Mark and I are in the incubator um, over at Redeemer in New York City. And we've formed our relationship there. And um, I really appreciate how, in some ways, he's kind of really reached out to me and friended me and have encouraged and helped me through this process, being that he's already planted a church in the past and has a lot of experience. Um, he's just been very encouraging to me. So it's a privilege for me uh, to be here uh, in front of you this morning. I'll get right to um, uh, the scripture. Um, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 9 and through verses 1 through 19. I believe you have it there in your program. And I'll just read it aloud. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way, which those who are Christians that are following after Jesus' teachings, those that have been converted, those that belong to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he is praying there, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this, is, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of it, the truth, the veracity of your word, and how you've given it to us for life, for guidance, for restoration. I ask, Lord, that you would use me, help me to speak your word, the message that you've given me, to do it boldly, to do it clearly. And I ask, Father, that you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Now, the book of Acts um, is a bridge in the New Testament um, from the old. It joins what, um, what Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospels with what we continue to do and teach from the apostles' preaching and the establishment of the Christian church. The first seven chapters in the book of Acts is um, how the gospel has been preached in the city of Jerusalem. If we remember, um, Jesus, before he ascended, encouraged and asked the disciples to go and make disciples and share this gospel um, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So we see in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, the church actually doing that, sharing the gospel in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, under the threat of persecution and things of that nature, we see them beginning to spread out and begin to share it in Judea and in Samaria. But here in chapter 9 records a monumental event, a turn of events in the history of the church. I'm talking about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who's later known as the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest figures in all of the Bible. And this is such a dramatic experience, a dramatic conversion. He's on his way to Damascus and he's knocked off his horse and he has this experience with Jesus, very dramatic. And I think it's important to say that not everyone has that sort of dramatic experience when we come to faith. But in fact, this is what happened with Saul. And at the beginning of our text, Saul is totally against the Christian church. And he's not only in disagreements with his teachings and his existence, he's furious, he's angry. It was noted that he was one of the men that was standing and watching as they stoned Stephen, a known follower of the way. And he wants to put a stop to what this group, he looks at the, those that are following the teachings of Jesus as an aberrant group of people that are causing problems with the people of Israel. 
And so his actions, what he's doing and his goals is demonstrating his determination to do whatever it takes to stop them. And at the beginning of our text, we see that he goes to the authorities in Jerusalem and asks for permission to be able to go to Damascus to arrest anyone and everyone that he can find that is following in this way and bring them back for imprisonment. But on his road to Damascus, his trip, something happens. He comes face to faith with the truth of the gospel. He's suddenly struck off of his horse by a bright light. And this event not only changes the trajectory of Saul's life, but it changes the trajectory of the Christian church. What stands out to me in this scripture when I read it is the focus that is on the eyes of Saul. We look at, we will look at the eyes of Saul. First, we'll look at what did he see before his trip to Damascus. And then we will look at what happens to his sight on his trip to Damascus. And then third, we will say, how does he see at the end of his trip when he's in Damascus? This text demonstrates the sovereignty and the grace of God. The title of this sermon today is God knows what he is doing. God knows what he is doing. We may not have the ability to see or to understand the reason for the current events in our lives at the moment, but God knows what he's doing. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And scripture commands us to believe in the sovereignty and the grace of a loving God, to have faith in what we cannot see with our natural eyes, but to have faith in a God. Now faith, Hebrews 11 says, is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So let's start. What does Saul see before he's, his trip to Damascus? Before his trip to Damascus, it describes, he describes um, later in chapter 22, he says that he was a Jew. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in Jerusalem and studied other, under um, Gamaliel. He was thoroughly trained in the laws of his ancestors. He was a zealous for God, and he was a persecutor of the ways, um, followers of the way. Saul is representative of a devout Hebrew person. He's representative of a devout Hebrew person, and the followers of the way represented yet another threat to Saul's faith, to his traditions, and his hope for a sovereign nation state for the people of Israel. What Saul saw before his trip was a religious sect growing in its prominence and negatively impacting the culture, the faith, and the traditions of his people. And Saul is also a Pharisee. Pharisee was a particularly strict group of people that were a part of the religious leadership of Israel. Perhaps Saul saw the opportunity to capture some of the people who were causing problems with their traditions and their faith. Maybe he wanted to go to Damascus to try and catch people who were fleeing from Jerusalem or stop the influence of them going further um, and causing problems in the city of Rome. 
regardless. Saul represents in this text, not just him, but he represents humanity. I'd like to say that we all have our traditions, we have our cultures, and we all have our beliefs. We come from different backgrounds. We have our own experiences. Sometimes they're rich with history and custom, and in other times our culture, our culture is very trendy and filled with new philosophical ideas. Regardless, throughout history, like Saul, it's been in our human nature to see only what suits us. Our human nature to view things from our own ambitions and goals and fears. To make moral judgments based on our cultural views. I was like that years ago. As Jonathan mentioned earlier, I was born and raised in the city of Newark. Being an African-American person, growing up in a single-parent home, what I saw in my city and in my neighborhood was a lot of challenging, a lot of poverty, a lot of struggle. And for me, in my culture, if you expressed um, the things that Christianity spoke about by being kind and being generous and being loving in my neighborhood or in my hood, that wasn't the thing that you wanted to have. Because if you express Christian generosity and Christian love, that was seen as weakness. And from my culture, when I looked at Christianity, I looked at it as something that I didn't want anything to do with. And so I ran away from it. And I wanted to get away from my neighborhood altogether. I wanted to move to a place where I saw people of color doing things better and living in a different way. Maybe I'll go someplace like Atlanta or maybe Dallas or somewhere. And two weeks after I graduated from high school, I left. I had my plans. I wanted to move. I wanted to get an education. I was going to be in the Air Force. I had it all figured out. But like Saul, I found myself on the road with my plans and God led me to another place. The thing is, is that when we look at the world and we see things through our own experiences only, and we look at things through our cultural eyes and our ambitions and our goals and through our own fears only, it can blind us to what God is doing and his will and the things that are happening around us. And we can miss out on some truly great and wonderful experiences in our God. So he's on his way there and he sees things from a negative point of view and he's going to stamp it out. But what happens to Paul's eyes on his journey as he's going to Damascus? It says that he fell to the ground. There was a bright light. It knocked, it's the noonday. It wasn't like it was overcast and all of a sudden it was lightning. Okay, we can understand that. But it was bright. They're in the Middle East. It's very bright out there. And there was a light so bright it knocked him off the horse. This wasn't an ordinary experience. It says in the scripture that this was an experience with God, that Jesus was there speaking to him. Verse 4 said that he heard a voice. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, who are you? He says, I am the Lord. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, we know and Saul would have known that this wasn't just a voice. This wasn't just an experience. He was having an experience 
with God. And he's coming to realize that his actions, where he's on a mission to do something, and the things that he's actually doing is going against the God that he has so zealously been trying to serve. And what stands out to me um, and is true in our context is this. Before his trip, Saul had two healthy eyes with which to see. And in life, we use our eyes to aid us in perception, to navigate, to plan. This passage reveals that although we physically see with our eyes, our beliefs, our experiences, our culture impact how we actually view life. Two people can be standing side by side, seeing an incident that's happening and have two completely different experiences of what actually happened. It happens in marriages. It happens between friends. It happens in the marketplace. It happens, we see it in our government. And when that happens, we see conflict. Sometimes we see strong conflict arise. And that's what's happening here. Saul hasn't seen Christ and his followers as a fulfillment of Scripture, but as a threat to the fulfillment of Scripture. And he's vehemently opposed to Christianity. Do you know anyone like that? That is vehemently opposed to Christianity? Maybe you have felt like that in the past. Believe me, God knows and he understands. I think it's important for us to also note the eyes of Saul. He is blinded and he is unable to see. And I've heard it said that when someone loses their sight, that they begin to focus very intently on other sensory um, things that they have. And sometimes their hearing can be becoming much more acute. Paul is sitting there in a blind state on the ground and he is straining to hear and he hears the voice of God speaking to him for the first time in a powerful way. He is hearing the voice of God. And Jesus comes to Saul and he wants him not only to be able to see with his natural eyes only, but he wants him to be able to see from the eyes of his heart. And, um, 1 Corinthians 9, it says, he, he didn't, it says that he didn't want us to only see, but, but, but he wants us to see in the spirit. He wants us to see from our heart. And in Ephesians 1, it says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. This is Saul's transformational moment. Now Saul is not seeing with his natural eyes, but he's able to see through the eyes of his new heart. I like the way Martin Luther um, says this in his quote. Whoever sees Christ as a mirror of the Father's heart actually walks through the world with new eyes. If we can see Christ 
If we can see the Father in Christ, we can see the world with new eyes. Blinded naturally, but able to see spiritually. Saul experienced that on his trip to Damascus. What about Saul's sight at the, once he's in his trip and at the end of his trip? I'll say, I think there are two steps that we all need to take in order to experience the same authentic gospel transformation that Saul experienced. The story doesn't end here with Saul on the ground and hearing the voice of God. Saul, he doesn't just have a personal encounter with the living Christ, then starts on his way. Is it individual? Yes. This is important and it's personal. He's there on the ground and the other men didn't understand the voice. The other men were not blinded by the light. Only Saul heard it and he had a personal experience. But Saul is still not able to physically see. He has to be led into the city, taken by the hand into an uncertain future. All he knows is that he has to go to a place and wait for further instruction. First, Saul is coming to Damascus, leading with a plan. But ironically, he must be led with no plan. He's told to go to a place and wait for further instructions. Saul had to be willing to be led in his dark place. And you may find yourself in a place where you can't see your future. You may find yourself in a place where um, you feel blind and unable to see the purpose and plan that God has unfolding in front of you. Are you working in a place or challenged in a relationship that doesn't make sense to you right now? Do you feel blind? Is the God of your understanding different from the one that you're experiencing right now? Like Saul, you may be, I have in the past, as I share with my experience growing up in the city of Newark, may find yourself tempted to resist and to fight against your circumstances. You may be on an unexpected detour like Saul was right now. Maybe sitting here in this service is an unexpected detour for you. It's during the times of our darkness like these that God will want to show himself to you. And I encourage you, stop, listen. And one of the steps that I'd like to say is this, be willing to be led. Be willing to be led. Here's another important fact. You don't follow God alone. When we're newly born, it says that we're born into a kingdom. We're born into a family. That's God's. So while Jesus is talking to Saul, who's later called Paul, Jesus is also coordinating with a man named Ananias to go and help Saul regain his natural sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Ananias receives him into the family known as the Christian church. In verse 17, it says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. Be open to who and what God may be bringing into your life. 
knowing what we know today about Saul and, and the impact and the importance of the ministry that he has for the Christian church, you would have thought that God would have sent someone like Peter. Peter would have personally traveled all the way over there and spoke to Paul and given him credibility with the people, you know, and he would have been able to say, hey, Kay, you know, I'm the leader of the church. Come on with me. You know, everything's good. No, he doesn't. He picks someone by the name of Ananias, an unknown person, a little known person. And he comes and he accepts Saul into the Christian church, into the family of God. This is the same thing that happens throughout all church history. God uses people just like you and me. You know, the person that led um, Martin Luther, I just quoted him, who is the, the, at the beginning of the Reformation for the Christian church today, John Staubitz. Who knows his name? What about the person that led Billy Graham? We know Billy Graham. But nobody knows the name of Mordecai Ham, who was the evangelist that was preaching the night that Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. We know how God might use us. We never know how God might use us to touch someone else's life and who in return can touch millions of people's lives. Yield yourself to the purposes of God even when you can't see your way clear. So number two, be willing to be sent. Be willing to be sent. You ever heard of the snowflake principle? How that there's no, one, there's no two snowflakes that are the same. They're all unique and different. Well, we're all different. There's none of us that are the same. No one else would have been suited to do what Paul did. No one. He was born in a major city, a trade city. He had an education. He went to Jerusalem and got a top-notch education for one of the greatest spiritual leaders at that time. No one was able to do what he did, and no one else can do what you can do. No one else has your circle of friends. No one else has your abilities. No one else has your situations. In a sense, every believer, every one of us is called to an apostolic ministry. God wants to send you out to commission you to do something significant. You may not play a prominent role or be highly visible, but God has a fulfilling plan for you that will bring him glory by building up his church. And in closing, love the unworthy. Christ has come and he has loved us. Christ came and we are unworthy. He died for a people that did not know him and could not see him. If you're an educator or wherever you are today, but I give this example, if you're an educator, you didn't get stuck with the most challenging kids. You were gifted to represent Christ in that child's life. Don't lose hope, don't give up, don't become anxious or angry or bitter. Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And he calls us to be willing to be sent and live a sacrificial life. And as we walk in that place where we can't see the future or the plan in front of us, he knows what he is doing. He knows 
what he is doing. And I'll close with this um, verse in Jeremiah 29. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that because of what Jesus Christ has come and has done for us, we now, like Saul, can look to you and cry out, Father, Father. I ask, Lord, that as we hear um, the words of Acts 9 today and see the experience that Saul had on his road to Damascus where he was seeing things in one way and with your sovereign hand, you opened his eyes to see more and gave him a courage and a will to do your work. God, I ask that you would open our eyes. Help us to see your will and your plan, to see beyond our natural eyes. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we go out sent from you to be a witness in this world. Amen.